Welcome to the Show Me The Money podcast, unlocking property finance. Join us on an exciting journey into the world of property finance, where we uncover secrets, strategies, and opportunities that can turn your property dreams into a lucrative reality. Welcome to Show Me The Money, unlocking property finance. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Show Me The Money unlocking property finance for those of you who are new listeners have not heard this podcast before uh, my name is Ro Sharma I'm a property developer and investor based in South London and uh, we also have Mark Champ my co-host and Mark just remind everyone of who you are and what you do yeah my name's uh, Mark Champ I'm the owner of Wolf Financial uh, property finance brokers uh, also do some property investment on the side um, so I've been around property for probably 20 years or so now um yeah but keen to to learn more from from the guests that we have on fantastic and today uh we're really really excited and uh, super pleased to have uh matt kirchner who is a relationship manager at pivot who's got a really interesting background history uh is also uh, has become a good friend of mine uh it, you know started with us doing a bit of work together a little while back but we're really pleased to have you on, Matt. Welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Great. So just tell us, just uh, we'd love to hear um, a little bit about your background, what you've done, and then um, we'd love to hear a little bit more about what you're, what you're doing right now as well. Sure, sure. So background is, uh, I, uh, forgive me because I'm an American, so, uh, uh, but actually the British do love me because I uh, pay taxes, but I can't vote. So uh, <laughs> uh I'm I'm good friends to everyone here. Um, so background is I moved here about four and a half years ago, um, working with a group, family, small family office, um, and from based in the states, uh, called Quanta Finance. Uh, Quanta from the states were uh, a family office based, but a development bridge lender that had as its ties from uh, prior group that was called B2R, which is a Blackstone funded group. Um, so a bit, bit of an ancient history. So the, the group actually started and I uh, worked with them uh, since about 2018. But um, the group started uh, as part of a Blackstone funded group that was acquiring single family rentals and single family homes in the States. And some of the directors I worked with uh, bought, I think, about 3,500 single family homes during 2012 to 2016. Um, and some of that initial capital kind of stayed with us and uh was kind of spun up into invitation homes. Uh, so invitation is one of the biggest owner operators of uh, single family rentals in the States. And I think the world uh, they're listed now, they have about I think 45,000 rentals. Um, but anyway, so that's, uh, that's kind of where the group started. I moved here in the UK because we have the U uh, S institutional funding line. Um, it was, they're generous enough to let me open the business here and start investing here. So uh, learn the business and kind of learn some of the market here. Um, since then, some of the directors actually left um, and I wound down the fund, uh, the funds here. And so I'm actually with a new group now uh, called Pivot Finance. Uh, Pivot Finance, another uh, development lender, uh, bridge development lender. And we kind of do uh, uh, a bit different from one of my previous experiences because it's a little more uh, broader, you know, products and broader uh, assets we'll, we'll lend on. So that's, uh, I'm pretty excited to be uh, started with them. Fantastic. Really, really interesting history. I guess one of the first things, what what, what do you see as the, the, the main differences between how things are done in the States and 
you know, I guess how how we work in the lending landscape here in the UK. So the biggest thing I think between here and the states is it's really just the frictions of actual the you know, not just the completion process, the completion commencing process, but just the frictions of of everything. For example, if um, I mean, I'll still do. Uh, you know, still talk to a lot of people in the States and, you know, at, at the appropriate gearing, let's say, you know, checks all the boxes. I know the person, just a straight bridge on a residential asset. They say, hey, I need to complete tomorrow by 5 p.m. And it, I want 50 LTV. And I said, OK, fine, we can do it. Um, uh, so it's just really the completion process. And a lot of it is with land title law here versus there. Uh, I mean, in an old property in the States is hundred years old. Uh, whereas, you know, here you have land title law going back to, you know, Kings, um, and basically back to, to Kings and monarchs, um, or even the house I'm in would probably be the oldest house in California. I think this, the house I'm living in now is from the late 1800s. Uh, I actually done a few properties in, in California and Hollywood that were from the early 1900s. And that would be considered young here in England. So, um, it, it's just, it's really the kind of the conveyancing completion process is really, there's, there's a ton of frictions here, um, which I know Mark will probably, uh, pro Mark will say, I mean, it, it definitely working with a good solicitor here. Like, uh, I know he's had Tariq on, uh, previously, he's really good. Um, uh, and I think just to kind of get, get to the completion process and, uh, I think is, is, the, is the biggest thing that I, I've seen. So what do you think they can do to speed it up then? Uh, I mean, how much time do you got? Um, I mean, I think the biggest thing is, um, so a lot of people, I mean, pivot as well. We, we work with, uh, title insurance. I mean, that can speed things up a lot. The biggest, I mean, another thing is when you're a borrower developer, make sure your counterparty is also, uh, you know, if there's a vendor involved, make sure that they know what they're doing. For example, me as, me as a lender, I've actually had my and I've asked multiple times if they can act for multiple parties, but it's kind of an SRA uh, thing with a, a conflict of interest. But uh, in the States, for example, you generally have, uh, you have a, a title in escrow. So basically you have search insurance, you have a title insurance, but you have, you're going through one party, for example, in California, whereas here you have your, uh, your vendor solicitor, your developer buyer solicitor, and um, also me as a lender, you'll have the, uh, lender solicitor so you could have you know multiple solicitors involved and it just just it gets really messy sometimes i mean as, as you know um so i think definitely work with uh you know i'm going to assume you know lender solicitors are, are uh, know what they're doing but also yeah, as a developer make sure that all counterparties involved but just are really property specific kind of attorneys um i think that's important um like uh like satrix satrix actually is really really good um and to have as much as like kind of your legals and everything done ahead of time. So that by the time then when you're kind of lender solicitor to ask for those check boxes, it's here's a drop box of, of all the information. Here's a yep. of our, our, our legal pack that's already been kind of pre-filled out. I think uh, as much work as you can do like ahead of time, I think is helps speed things up. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Getting everything prepared and also making sure there are no surprises. Um, if there isn't planning permission, tell the people up front there's no planning permission and things like that because, you know, not only does that annoy the lender, but the, the solicitors then have a job to get the right indemnity insurance in place, whatever it may be. It's, uh, yeah, it can really slow things up. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I, I, I'd love to. Uh, I mean, this is a topic for another discussion, but uh, uh, I'd love to privatize the plan planning planning process here, similar to yeah. like building building control. I mean, if uh, I think we would, yeah, uh, you know, have a profit motivated companies behind it, uh, you know, actually going through the planning process, I think would would help a lot too, because that's uh, uh, yeah, as a capital investor, it's it's pretty. I've seen guys that have taken five years to get through planning, and that's I, I I don't know I don't know how you you know figure out a uh you know kind of a net present value of you know what my what my returns going to be when it's a question mark whether I even get playing so that's that's I mean I would push that you know your your friends in government Rob <laughs> yeah let's see what we can do so tell us about pivot then um what is the focus of pivot what kind of lending do they typically do target profile of, of borrowers. Yeah, so Pivot is, um, so we're, we're funded by some uh, kind of larger institutionals, uh, institutional investors. Um, we actually just just uh, got a couple new credit funding lines. Um, kind of our specialty is that, uh, to be upfront, we're not the cheapest in the market, but what we'll do is a bit higher gearing, a, kind of more of a bit of a stretch senior. So we'll go up to like 70% of GDV on a, even a ground up development um, and up to 90% of cost, even a touch higher um, with uh, we work with LDS a lot and kind of on that uh, sales guarantee scheme. So we may do a touch higher even on loan to cost. Um, we'll, and we'll do things that are a little bit more uh, exotic. So as land with planning, we'll do we'll do commercial bridges. Um, we'll even do kind of like commercial exits and things like that. Um, and we'll allow like kind of Mez to sit behind us and, and consider uh, I can kind of take a view on some things. Um, generally, our, our well, our credit committee meets twice a week, Mondays, Wednesdays. Uh, smaller loans under three million doesn't need to go to kind of our, our capital partners. Um, and, uh, and kind of our target loan size is between one to ten million, but kind of we find our sweet spot between three to five. Um, doing trying to do a little bit more uh, larger deals, but that kind of three to five spot is is. Uh, we found it to kind of be the sweet spot. Okay, very very helpful. What I think one one of the things that we uh, are really excited about when we have people like you on the podcast is that you can really give us the the kind of the inside track and that, to understand the nuts and bolts of how decisions get made, what good deals look like, what bad deals look like. Because I think for a lot of borrowers or people who are, and Mark I'm sure sees this all the time applicants putting deals forward which they think are the best things to slice bread and that should be funded easily at, at high leverage but we all know that the reality of it is, is is often not quite that so tell us a little bit about your approach and you know drawing upon your vast experience and possibly with what you're doing to today as well uh, with pivot but tell us a little bit about your your approach to due diligence and and what makes a good deal what makes a good borrower um, and and how how you kind of made that assessment for taking it forward? So I I think I used to, just to step back real quick before kind of going over approach. I think my uh, what I think for developers to really understand is like to put yourself in the lender's shoes and, and really why why are they you know and Mark will say well, why are they so you know why is everyone so conservative why is everyone so uh, skies are are gray? Um, if you think about it as a lender, our our upside as a lender is because everyone has a cost of capital and overhead and everything. So upside as a lender is, you know, your margins are anywhere from two two to call it five percent. Um, and your downside is is a loss on the loan book. And the loss on the loan book could be, you know, 20, 30, 50 percent. Um, so just something to keep in mind, I guess, when you're when you're 
getting pushback from a lender um, of, you know, your, you, I guess the number one rule of lending is kind of the Warren Buffett rule of don't lose money. Um, again, because, you know, maybe max upside you're going to make on a deal is two to 5%. Um, because like I said, everyone kind of has a cost capital, a, a either funding line or, or a certain funder. Um, and and, and uh, I guess just to keep in mind on that. So when I look at lending and kind of my my process is uh, generally when either, you know, developer or borrower or broker kind of uh, start looking at a deal together, it's, I assume that a lot of the things are kind of check, checkbox, you know, uh, good experience. Um, usually, usually someone already kind of knows if they're coming to development lender, they already kind of know what a development lender will look for, you know, experience, you know, decent credit. Um, for me, like I, I want what I, my, my real process is. And, and I think like, really help speed things up is I want people to kind of just, just tell me the quiet part out loud. Uh, and generally, I mean, if you're, you're kind of coming to development lender, it's, yeah, you know, highest geared and lowest price, but the quiet part out loud is maybe it's, uh, you know, I have an old CCJ or have a co old company as an administration or, or what, what, or maybe the GDV exit values aren't, are, are a bit punchy. Okay, great. Like this usually and lending for me breaks down to, more of a qualitative, uh, more of a qualitative, like what, what are kind of the main bullet point risks um, and something that you can, because a lot of the things will, will kind of get flushed out in due diligence, like kind of your background, credit history, you know, past projects, things like that. But it's usually like there's, uh, as you know, Ro, I mean, there's like a, uh, you know, one to three things that are, you know, kind of have to get that qualitative over the hump. Um, and so I like to kind of like find that, find those kind of three bullet points um, to, to really just get over the hump. And then back to what I originally said of, you know, why are lenders so conservative? How do we mitigate that downside? How do we mitigate basically any downside risk? Because my, my downside needs to be 0%. You know, my upside is, uh, you know, 2 to 4%. And that's that, that's that's just kind of how I, I approach it. And I just uh, try to cut through uh, as much of it as, as quick as possible. Yeah, it's, it's when we tell, when we have a, a customer come to us, they're the sorts of things that we try and flush out before it would get to the lender because there's so there's so many variables and uh, they all, they always have to come out in the wash. They they always do. So it's it's a matter of saying to the customer, let's get everything on the table now. Find a lender it fits with because they're they're different lenders with different risk profiles. It, it really. Does make sense to do it early on because you yeah the worst thing is getting down the line valuation done and then you find something a bit later on because it wastes a lot of time and a lot of money and usually the customer becomes very upset even though they could have divulged a bit more information up front so um, yeah I, I, and i guess on that note i mean my my definitely my my approach is uh you know th those those few things you meant those bullet 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 points that you know are going to be like the main risks like i'm looking at a transaction now where the main risk are he's low on uh one of the developers is is low on working capital and gdv is punchy so I say okay great like it, i'm happy to spend your money on evaluation and and you know third party kind of ims report however valuation's punchy if it if it doesn't if it uh you know comes back lower can you come up with more money? And he says, no. I say, okay, then, then uh, let's, I don't want to spend your money then. Um, 
and that kind of saw that kind of solves it. So I, I don't, I don't like spending people's money into, and I'd rather kind of find out, I'd rather spend my own time, do a bit of diligence and a bit of digging to say, is this going to kill the deal? Yes, it will. Okay. Then maybe get another quote from someone else basically. Um, Cause that, that's just kind of my approach. Yeah. Ro, as a, um, an investor yourself, how, how do you see it? Is it something that you would try and, I don't know if there was something sort of a little bit not massively important, but something that could go either way. Would you mention that up front or would you hope that it wasn't noticed or there was uh, something that could be done later down the line once the deal was in? Um, it, it was sort of going along and yeah. it's harder to turn down then because more people <laughs> are invested in it. What's your thoughts? Well, I mean, having done, having been through the process a few times, you know, I, I know it pays dividends just to be up front and have those difficult conversations earlier. Because my my mantra has always been get get to the know earlier, rather than enduring all the work and effort and cost and expense. And, and not not just with lending, but when I'm talking to landowners or site owners as well, if it's a no, I'd rather find out earlier and save all the time and heartache rather than go through the process. And as you say, people might be more invested in it. And, you know, you might, if you're lucky, get to a situation where people are all so invested that they just want to get it over the line regardless. But in reality, I think that very rarely happens. And I think, as Matt has said, when you've got lender due diligence involved, you've got multiple strands of, of checks and, and parties involved in doing that due diligence, you know, it's it's not going to wash, especially when the when it gets to the solicitors, because then, and ultimately, then it's got to be advised back to to the, to the lender or the underwriter, and then they'll take a view. But unless they've been aware of it up front, it just upsets everybody. So yeah, not, I very much try and get all the cards on the table with everything that I know up front. Yeah, and 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 it's it's not. I mean, when I say cards on the, and say the quiet part out loud, is it's not always not always a bad thing. For example, Ro, you mentioned in I think it was episode one, you said, you know, why are your costs so low? It's because I'm using my mates rate. I'm getting mates rates, right? Or uh, my my cousin's building for me. Great. Just, just tell me, I mean, just tell the lender up front because the lender is going to do, you know, at least some kind of cost appraisal on their own. And the lender, again, they're, they're, they're in any kind of bridge, a bridge or development is, is an intermediary product. It's a short-term intermediary product. It's not a term loan. So how do I, as a, uh, and this is kind of how I've been taught is how do I force that exit? How do I make sure that exit and the exit is clean product that's uh you know either ready for sale or for rent or, or remortgage um and that's that's a liquid product right and that's that's a liquid liquid project um but if you know we're undercapitalizing it we're not reserving enough for you know construction draws things like that um but bro you're you know you're getting mates rates like you said just just tell me just be upfront about it and then and then i'd be okay then something you can work around it and my, myself right now the lender you'll say okay great we can we can figure it out. Maybe we can reserve a bit more. Maybe we'll increase the loan in the event that, you know, your mate isn't your mate anymore. Thing. And you actually have to use kind of a third-party contractor that's going to have a 15% you know, profit margin for him. Um, things like that. Just to, like I said, because these things will, will always get fleshed out in diligence. It's just, do you want to spend six weeks or just, you know, six hours uh, kind of getting that fleshed out? Yeah. Tell us, tell us a bit about your due diligence process then. So once once everything has been, you know, put on the table up front, but tell us a little bit about, you know, what goes on at the next stage and what sort of things that we as borrowers and um, 
as investors, developers need to be aware of to kind of manage our expectations? Um, so it, it, it depends. I mean, like, so if, like I said, if, uh, for example, with Pivot, uh, it's under 3 million, that's credit committee. So it's like twice a week credit committee, as long as it fits within, uh, you know, uh, loan to value guidelines, I can kick that straight to underwriting. If it's something bigger, and you guys talked about this a bit uh, earlier about, or I think it was on previous episode, is like, what is driving the lending decision? So for example, I'm mean, just, just to be upfront, most lenders will either have to go, uh, if it's outside of their kind of straight parameters, like balance sheet lending, um, they have to talk to their capital, to their effective, to their funding source. Uh, so same thing at, at Pivot, if it's over uh, 3 million and, you know, they want to be over, uh, you know, 70% GDV, that usually is going to go go back to our funders. So um, again, for my, my decision is I want to, uh, you know, I'll have to do a kind of an initial credit paper, um, just initial diligence of who the borrower is, what the project looks like. Um, and then we have, an, a, usually it's uh, Wednesdays, we kind of have our cre credit meeting. Um, and again, I like to do these things before spending funds, but I, I think, uh, again, as, as a developer to, to ask these questions of like, uh, who the, the lender is, you know, kind of in quotes you're actually talking to. And I know Mark, uh, said, uh, like, what does the funding trail look like? And you know, where are the funds coming from? Cause at the end of the day, uh, you know, every lender has a certain funder, a certain cost of capital. Um, and then Mark was saying that Shawbrook funds 30 bridgers and JP Morgan funds, uh, a handful of others. And just, I think as a, it's it's a good question to ask you know your relationship manager as a, as a developer of like is this within your uh is this within kind of like credits decision for example a pivot three million and under that's credits decision monday wednesday i can basically give you a thumbs up and you know move it to valuation and you know start collecting you know further diligence if it's over that or if it's kind of outside of guidelines it's just got to go up to uh our basically our bank funding line just to just to give a give a two cents on it most of the time i mean we we know the bank funding line we know like their appetite and everything so it's it's not like i'm shooting in the dark but um it's it's just a good thing to 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 keep in mind I, that was just a, a no actually i remember listening on your your prior episodes but um so how many people sit on your credit committee then three people three and does meeting monday and wednesday only um, put you at a disadvantage to some other lenders that have credit committee every day and potentially could get a quicker decision to the customer? Uh, I don't really see that. Um, I mean, I can always pick up the phone or, I mean, I sit next to them. So, I mean, I can always have a chat with them. I mean, uh, in terms of things, I mean, for example, I did one yesterday. I sent out terms, got it this morning. I sent out terms. I just had a quick question say, hey, 65% uh, commercial bridge purchase or we're, we're good issue terms. Yes. Okay. Thanks. That, and that that's, I mean, that's how quick the, the credit committee was. Um, yeah. Um, so, I mean, it just, it just depends. I mean, that was a million and a half down kind of horse theory on a commercial light industrial purchase. Mm -hmm. um, actually owner occupied user that we're getting actually a bit more uh, loan to value because I think you may buy it under, under market because we can go up to 75% of cost on that, less or 75 or 65 of value. So um uh so yeah, I mean that I mean that was that was the credit committee meeting. I mean if it's usually I say meetings more money Wednesday if it's like a little more nuanced, um, you know, multiple pieces of a collateral, you know, different borrowers, uh 
PG, no PG, like things that I think a bit more nuanced. Yeah. Um, so I would say no, but uh, I mean, I can always like make meetings if, if needed. Yeah, no, and, and I think the the initial interest is what the customers are looking for more than the actual firm decision um, mm -hmm. to start with. They just want to know from us as brokers anyway that you've got a lender or a couple of lenders who are interested in it and the, the project is viable. Then getting all the information together to provide that to a lender can take a little bit uh more time which which is fine by by a customer it's, yeah it's usually the initial uh heads up whether it'll work or not i would say yeah and generally generally speaking i guess when, when you've got something that is of interest at the beginning um what are the sort of things you know so let's say you know i come forward with a deal um uh, a, a concept that mark has been through mark will introduce it to you as the lender Sounds sounds good. Sounds good uh, initially, but then what are the sort of things that, when you start digging deeper, um, that can actually work against you? Assuming that you know you've got a good borrower, um, with a good profile, and there are no kind of skeletons in the closet. What are the sort of things that you do see tend to actually trip trip deals up, even though they seem good at the beginning? Well, I mean, just I guess the the biggest things that I or see deals be tripped up is is. Again, a lender, I want to see how do I get to my exit? My exit is a fully funded project. So, okay, are your costs kind of within line and your GDV valuation? And does your act, does the story make sense? If the exit is you know, a, liquid, a liquid exit to where, you know, multiple refinancing lenders, multiple, you know, people are, well, there's multiple buyers in there. Uh, great. And costs are in line. Great. I mean, I, I like to, I mean, the biggest thing is just to kind of keeping with, uh, I guess, keeping with, I guess, the flow and keeping the story of, uh, you know, assuming borrowers clean, like you said, um, is I, I like to really look at just kind of how, like at that exit, because um, at the end of the day, you know, Pivot or anyone else in the bridge or development space, asset-based lenders, um, you know, little secret is that PG doesn't really mean anything because I've never seen anyone really collect on a PG. Um, mm -hmm. So, if we're really trying to collect on a PG, it's a, it's a, we did our underwriting wrong and underwriting in, in, in terms of the actual asset, the actual project. Um, and it's just, uh, like I said, it's the, the story of whatever project you're either acquiring, adding value to, you know, getting to an exit of making sure those values and, and kind of like the, uh, the cost stack up and, and the story stacks up of how you're acquiring the project and how you're going, going to exit the project. Um, and, and again, back to what I said, if, if just, just to be upfront, if, uh, I've had people to say, hey, I'm buying this for, you know, half a million pounds. And it's like, well, I'm really not because, you know, the landowner's going to JV with me. Okay, great. Just, just, just tell me that upfront because I can work with that. But if I don't find that out until it's, you know, in underwriting and, you know, underwriting is, is now panicking because it's 100% loan to cost we just wasted some time and, and probably some money on evaluation. So um, it's really just kind of making sure the story makes sense, making sure like everything just kind of uh, you know, checks off in terms of really the asset and, and the exit. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because when we look at a deal we and we, we talk to a customer about a transaction, we always do it backwards. We look at the exit and then work backwards and then 
see what contingency they've put in and um, what other provisions they may have made. Because a lot of the time, if you go the other way, you you could do a whole lot of work and then it fall over. It's uh, the exit is probably, you know, it's obviously the most important thing. And with the rates, it's not so much now the rates coming down, but with the rates going up, you know, how, you know, last year, it was, it was very difficult to ensure that there was an exit and get everybody comfortable with it. So luckily we hope, well, hopefully we're going in the right direction. Yeah. I mean, I, I think actually that's a really good point of if, if, for example, Mark, you say my exit, I'm building 10 flats and my exit is, is a hold and I'm going to get a term refinance. Okay, great. Have you looked at what the term refinances look like and, and what the, what you're going to value that on a capitalized value? So if you say it's way up North and I'm going to get a, you know, a, a five cap or, or a five, a 5% net yield on this, on this investment. And you know, I'm going to get a uh, term refinance at base rates plus, you know, half a percent. That just doesn't work. Right. I mean, um, yeah. the, like I, I'd love, I wish it did, but it, it, it just doesn't work. Um, so just, just to really know what, again, me, me as a bridge or a development lender is I'm going to have to see like, okay, so you're saying your exit is a term refinance. What does a term refinance market look like? And does that exit actually make sense? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the one thing actually I will say too is actually uh, is to really as a developer just just another tip is just to, to really know your deal. Um, and to be fair, you know, I'm I'm an idiot American, so when uh, me sometimes as, as a dumb American knows more about your deal, like I doesn't really feel good. So I'll give an example. Down in did a PD conversion down in the South Coast. Um, really good borrower, uh, good build and everything, but he was building a lot of studio units and I did the diligence. I spent a couple of days and I said, said, mate, what, why are you building studio units? There's, there's no, uh, there's no university is not close enough. There's not a single studio within like three square miles. Um, and look, I'll push the valuation, but like your, your unit makes, it makes sense. And so he argued me went, went back and forth. Um, and, and, and the valuer actually, so he spent money on the valuation and now the valuer said the same thing, like your, your unit mix doesn't make sense. Um, and so actually he actually turned out, we completed the deal and actually we funded the deal and everything, but he, what he ended up doing was changing a lot of those studio units to either one bedroom or mix of one and two bedroom units. So he went down from, I think 40 units down to about 33. Um, but it's a, a complete, I mean, that, I mean, that's successful, but uh, uh, to really, I guess, know the deal, like, because uh, you're going to have people that are going to be looking at it um, kind of from that uh, n- not as a constructive lens, you know, what, what is, you know, what, what, what can go wrong with the project and what, uh, so definitely know the deal as a developer, know, I guess, know the area. Uh, I guess another, another tip is when I was doing actually acquisitions for a, a large multifamily developer in the States, I would physically go and actually visit properties. I would, pretend I was a tenant, even if I was actually a bit younger at the time. So I could, I could pretend to be a, a student. So we were doing a lot of student accommodations. So I would physically go and say, Hey, I want to rent, rent a room. And I'd take photos and I'd, I'd go to all the competing sites. I'd go to every single competing, uh, uh, asset we, we were going to go to, or, you know, I'd, I'd put a hard hat on say, well, cause we did some industrial too. Say, so, hey, I'm going to we're doing light industrial like warehouse like uh, as a tenant like I want to own a lease this space and so to really get an idea of I mean physically go to properties and, and really know the deal um 
and why why and if you're going to present to a lender like what why that is and don't don't let like a lender uh like me a dumb american really figure out figure something out for you i mean i, I want to be the one that's uh, being being uh kind of educated on 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 your deal yeah and that makes complete sense to me we had one the other day we were doing um and it was for a serviced accommodation and the the property was in coventry and the the lender was like why why are you doing a serviced accommodation in coventry it just doesn't, doesn't make sense you shouldn't be doing it but we've done quite a lot of service accommodation in coventry and what the lender hadn't realized was that there's two universities in the Coventry area. There's a, ho a large hospital in, in Coventry. There's um, a lot of um, manufacturing that happens. And the service accommodation isn't for people going on holiday. It's for people to visit the university, you know, use it when they're working at the hospital, whatever it may be, or visiting people at the hospital. So we put that to the lender and the lender got comfortable with it. They said, yeah, do you know what? You're right. Um, get com we're comfortable now. So. I think just a little plug for brokers there, making sure you've got a broker who understands the investment and what lenders are looking for and can preempt any questions like that is, is really important to any transaction. Great, great advice. Um, I've got one more question actually, Matt, just in the last last few minutes before we wrap up. What are the changes in um, opportunities or propositions that you're seeing? Are you seeing particular opportunities where people are capitalizing on certain types of investments? Um, what, what, what have you seen as the biggest changes in the last sort of six, six months, say? Six to 12 months. It's interesting. It's, it's almost, um, uh, I'm seeing a lot more inquiries right now, which, which is good. I think people are a little more comfortable with where the rates are at um, and because they can, without really the, the uh volatility is in, in increase in rates i mean we would think about this is the fastest increase in rates i think that has happened i think ever um and not just that it's not the actual absolute value of the rates but the actually just the increase in, in rates from basically zero percent to five percent that uh, how quickly that happened um so i think people are more comfortable about i guess where they can kind of get termed term debt which is which is good the term, a lot of the term lenders are kind of back in the market um uh, chat with Mark on, on that, but uh, uh, oh, I mean, it's it's interesting. It's it's a, almost a, a bipolar market because I speak with uh, some admin, administrators, development managers, um, and lenders as well, because um, everyone kind of knows each other. I haven't seen the market where lenders are actually taking back repossessing properties right now, and things are going sideways. Yeah, uh, with co cost overruns and things like that. There's a lot of that. Not a lot. There's there's a, some of that in the background. Whereas at the same time, I'm seeing people still spend a lot of money and vendors haven't really, they're starting to, but haven't really kind of come to the point where they're really decreasing their kind of land prices or, you know, the, whatever the existing is. Um, so it, it's, 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 it's interesting. It's, it's a bit of a bipolar market, but um, I'm still seeing like, I mean, there's definitely opportunities in terms of uh, I think the, the rental market, um, uh, I've seen a lot more people kind of move towards uh, rental exits and kind of term term exits uh, just because rents have you know increased to the point where, uh, I mean, yields aren't, uh, I guess, kind of make sense um, in certain markets. Uh, I've seen people a bit more cautious in just terms of like the for sale exits um, just because, uh, I guess, just with current mortgage rates um, on, you know, retail buyers buying homes. I mean, it, it's it's just gotten a bit expensive. 
Yeah. Um, so kind of rent versus buy a question of, of is a, it, it sometimes doesn't make sense. I mean, if you just look at, uh, you know, what is a cost of a rental? If you're just going to go rent uh, a flat versus I me mean, to buy a flat, you know, what does the, the rent versus buy uh, look like? So that's, that's why it's giving a lot of people more pause in terms of the for sale exits. Yep. Um, so I'm seeing more people do kind of more HMO type stuff, uh, rental, uh, accommodation type, uh, exits, um, which is good. And, and the one thing I actually really like to see is, uh, people doing, I guess, a lot more, getting more creative. I know Ro, you were, you were talking about getting creative with, uh, different landowners and doing, um, more like kind of JV opportunities where landowner contributes to land and you contribute kind of your expertise and, uh, build costs and stuff to, to exit. So. Um, that I, I think I'm seeing a, a bit more of that people that be a bit more creative with, with vendors, if they're, um, you know, if they're, if they're willing to work with you, um, yeah. but still it's, it's like I said, it is interesting. So a lot of money is, there's still a lot of money out there chasing, you know, uh, good deals, um, to the point where I've, I've actually even made a couple offers on, uh, a project over in, uh, Ascot and another project in, in Barnes, but just was bid out to the point where you know my profit would have been pretty effectively zero um so it's it's interesting that you know that there's still a lot of money out there whereas at the same time it's almost bipolar where in the background some lenders are are taking some some losses right now um so it's, it's kind of interesting very good Great. i'm curious on, i'm curious on, on actually on, on your guys's too um i guess where do you guys see uh a guy a guy that i've uh followed for a while don cox he said never you know never invest on, on a page one um invest on the basis of what's page 16 uh and going to page one what is uh i guess what, what are you guys seeing in terms of uh uh where, where do you see opportunity where do you see it potentially something's going to be page page one in, in the next uh, six to 12 months um so we did we did a podcast with um joe from handles banking um, a little while ago, I'm not sure if you've heard that episode, but I, I did, yeah, yeah. He was talking a lot about the energy performance of commercial units and the the baby boomers who have owned these properties for a long time, just not having the drive to uh, want to to get it up to the right energy performance levels. So these are coming on the market at below the value that people potentially expect them to. So we see that uh, as an opportunity. Um, that, that was very interesting from Joe. Um, but what I'm, I'm just seeing so much of the Terrace House to HMO conversion still, it's um, it's just where everybody wants to, to be. Uh, and also the serviced accommodation. Now that buy to let is harder to achieve a profit just vanilla buy to let they're looking for another angle uh and the serviced accommodation is where people are really looking for a little edge but the problem is there are very few lenders that will lend on a serviced accommodation basis uh, and if the, if you've got a first time investor looking to get into serviced accommodation you're probably going to pay at least one percent more than you would do on a HMO so that is quite expensive not many lenders like it and to be honest the people who are investing it are probably the lesser experienced people so there's probably going to be more chance of them going wrong and causing lenders to pull out the market even more um 
but if it's done right, then then yeah, you can achieve a, a lot better yield and some better profits. Um, but I think it's a risky strategy. Yeah. Makes makes yeah, I mean, sense. I mean, I, I think uh, I think you're hitting on of uh, you know what I've seen too is inflation is remaining sticky. So I mean, you said uh, terraced house to HMO conversion. That means that people are basically moving down market, right? And there's a huge demand for affordable housing, um, which is ironic with inflation staying staying sticky is actually helps helps that developer because, uh, I mean, you can actually get, you know, better yields on an HMO. Um, and you're actually, you're, I, I know, uh, and Ronos too, a, a couple of guys that do have actually pretty big HMO portfolios and they have waiting lists right now, um, just because that the affordability of an HMO or, just any affordable priced unit is is uh, it, it's just attractive right now. Um, so yeah, I I I think you I think you hit on it. Yeah, yeah. And I think for me specifically, I'm looking at long term income generating assets rather than stuff where I'm putting them on the market to sell at the end of development, just so that I don't have to be exposed to the sort of market risks there. Um, it may sort of change my my capital requirements longer term. In terms of money left in the deal, but that's just a far safer bet for me. Um, unless the deal is just really, really good. You know, I'm doing two things, buying to hold for long-term income, HMO strategy is great. Um, but then also if I'm working on a joint venture basis with a land or a site owner, that's more likely to be something to get planning on and then sell it on rather than exposing myself to the sort of the market risk after building it out and, and where the only exit is to sell. Because I think some people who get forced into um, renting their assets at the end where their actual exit was their primary exit was always to sell it kind of changes the mechanics of the deal the structure and I guess you know the the, the actual deals that you're looking for in the first place so I'd rather you know uh, set out with that with plan A and be able to execute against that rather than having to work on a plan B all the time but having a plan B is always important yeah yeah, I mean, look, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm still very positive. You know, UK housing, and uh, I mean, in general, I mean, the the under shortage of, of supplies is acute, um, and there's and just the the planning process again back to what's different in in the states. The planning process here is I just don't see an oversupply of inventory. I mean, maybe Battersea Nine Elms, maybe, um, maybe parts of Liverpool and uh, Manchester potentially, but there's no real no one's going to drop you know a thousand units of supply on the market you're not going to see uh, i mean you can go i mean you can go on the planning portals you can go on on a uh, land insight and, and see what what's in your area what what planning is permitted to coming up but in terms of actual like housing stock there's there's just uh i mean i'm, I'm definitely perspective on and, and positive on on uh uh, just just housing affordably priced housing in general um and and to be fair i mean that's why you've seen a lot of large actually institutional funds like you know the starwoods black rocks or uh of the world um uh fortress basically setting up you know by uh built to rent you know uh rental uh you know products here in this country just because the yields yeah yields make sense um you, you can and it just uh it's just an acute housing shortage of uh it's going to keep you know unfortunately for us renters going to keep you know rents probably pretty steady and and trending upwards uh for for the foreseeable future mm. indeed brilliant brilliant so i think we'll draw to a close here but matt thanks so much for for being our guest there and sharing all your insights it's been really really valuable if people want to 
get in touch with you? Uh, what's the best way for, for people to engage? Uh, my, my contacts, uh, with, I believe it's on the Pivot website. Pivot's fine. Um, I'm actually, uh, LinkedIn's fine. Pivot, uh, LinkedIn, or uh, I'm actually uh, do a lot on Twitter as well. So uh, any any spot. Um, Ro has my number, so you're going to give me a ring. Yeah, fantastic. Well, well, we'll leave some details in the show notes. Uh, and as ever, for our listeners, if you've got any questions, comments, or ideas, suggestions about what you'd like us to cover to answer your questions, um, then please do get in touch. Uh, again, details will be in the show notes. But uh, from from both myself and, and Mark, Matt, thank you once again, and thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you very Appreciate much. Appreciate That concludes another episode of Show Me The Money podcast, Unlocking Property Finance. Connect with us on social media where we share additional tips, resources, and behind-the-scenes insights. Feel free to reach out to us with any questions or topics you'd like us to cover in future episodes. Until next time, keep exploring, keep learning, and keep making those smart investment moves. This has been Show Me The Money, Unlocking Property Finance.